TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dookie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. Happy holidays, Scoop Podcast faithful. This is episode 326 on this Thursday night, the 17th of December. Let me empty out my figurative notebook. Then we will get to some conversations in no particular order. It's unfortunate that D'Angelo Russell can't play Thursday night against Dallas. The more that he can play with Ricky Rubio, Carl Anthony Towns, Malik Beasley, and company, the better you think about him and Cat. They only played one regular season game together last year. They played those two Memphis games Saturday and Monday. Now can't build chemistry on Thursday night. So it's unfortunate that Russell can't play right ankle soreness, but it's very much precautionary. D'Lo will be good to go come next Wednesday when the games count when the Wolves take on the Detroit Pistons. Malik Beasley's court hearing that was scheduled for today is now on Monday. It's yet another hearing. Nothing will be decided. It doesn't look like on Monday. Bottom line, the NBA will likely suspend Malik Beasley When everything is settled, they are not announcing some sort of suspension on Monday or Tuesday for Malik. So Malik should be good to go Wednesday against Detroit, but the Wolves are bracing at some point that Malik will have to serve some sort of suspension. In all likelihood, five games or less. I had one NBA executive tell me he thought maybe two, but could it be three? Sure, but certainly signs point to the suspension eventually being less and five games. The Wolves will soon announce that Minneapolis native Aday Murky, he's been on the podcast before, good kid, and Charlie Brown Jr. will be waived. The idea is those guys are not with the team in Dallas. They remain here in the Twin Cities doing individual work. The idea is that the Wolves are going to take part in the G League bubble. Now, will they combine with another team? Will they have their own team? I don't have every single answer, but the sense is, like we've talked about going back multiple podcasts, that the Wolves will be part of the G League bubble, it sounds like, in the Atlanta area. Now, some teams have said no. They don't want to pay the entry fee. We can debate whether the entry fee is too expensive or not. Some say $500,000. I heard one person say up to $750,000. Point is, it's a six-figure investment. Some owners don't want to do that during this pandemic, but the Wolves are in, I'm told, for the G League. So the idea will be murky and Brown Jr. and others will take part in that bubble with the Iowa Wolves. It appears Rondé Hollis-Jefferson is in. I mean, heck, logic just tells you that after the way he played on Monday. So even though he's in right now on a non-guaranteed deal, I fully expect Rondé Hollis-Jefferson to be with the Wolves next Wednesday when they open up that regular season. The Wolves TV contract, the contract with Fox Sports North, is up. After this season, I don't know if that's out there or not. If it is, I apologize. If it's not, there you go. There's a little scoop item here in the scoop podcast on Glenn Taylor. I still think it's when, not if. I don't think he ends up dying and still being majority owner. So I think it's when, not if he completes a transaction to no longer be majority owner. But at this point, he is going to start the season as the majority owner. There hasn't been a whole lot out there. I know of one basketball junkie whose company recently went public who has interest. He has not talked directly yet with Glenn, but he plans on reaching out in the very near future. He is worth a lot of money. He can make a very, very nice bid for the Wolves. I'm told the Daniel E. Strauss group still has some level of interest, but there's also some concerns in this COVID climate. I think if a transaction was going to take place with Strauss, who had an exclusive negotiating window going back months, I think a deal would have been struck already. So I would not bet on Daniel E. Strauss becoming the new Wolves majority owner, but I was told by somebody that knows that camp that there is still some level of hope. But he came into town He met with Taylor. I just think if a deal was going to happen, it would have happened back in August. But still, a name to remember nonetheless. Two other names to remember are names that came up five years ago. Former Grizzlies limited partner Steve Kaplan, Jason Levian, who worked for the Grizzlies. He's got some ownership now in D.C. United, in MLS. He's got some ownership in some other soccer teams across the globe. I'm told there's at least been some conversations. I don't know how to quantify the exact level of interest from Levian, 
from Kaplan. If Kaplan's even in the mix with Levy, and I had somebody tell me, yeah, another person say maybe not so much, but still two names to remember that were out there five years ago. So the process continues on the Wolves and specifically Glenn Taylor looking for a new majority owner on the Wolves finding a sponsor for for their jerseys. So Fitbit, I mean, that was a multi-million dollar transaction with Fitbit being on the, on the jerseys last year. The Wolves are looking for a new sponsor this year. I'm told corporate has had a number of productive conversations. They should have something in the very near future. It may not be right at the start of the regular season, but I would think at some point during the regular season, the Wolves will have some sort of corporate patch, some sort of company represented on their jerseys. Some NFL notes, Tajay Sharp, the former Vikings receiver. Now, I'm told he did not ask for his release, but he was plenty fine with it. He was ready to move on, according to the NFL Transactions Wire on Thursday. He was in Kansas City for a visit. Could you imagine landing with that offense if you're Tajay Sharp? Alex Boone, our good buddy from Score North. Alex Boone, according to our buddy Tom Pelissero, on his way to Seattle, Alex Boone will join the Seahawks practice squad on the twins they announced a bunch of minor league signings today including Derek law the reliever who was on this podcast a few episodes ago two names that they announced today that haven't been out there previously glenn sparkman former royal starter pitched a bunch for them in 2019 pitched a little for them here in 2020 and luke farrell luke farrell he pitched for the rangers a little bit this year i think i'm saying his last name right But could it be Farrell, Luke Farrell, Luke Farrell? I'm not entirely sure. Maybe I should have gone to baseball reference before ad-libbing this portion of of the Scoop podcast. But I believe it's Luke Farrell. So the Twins announced eight guys signed to minor league deals with invites to big league spring training. And the two new names, a lot of the names were out there, but the two new names, Sparkman and Farrell. All right, let's get to some conversations here on episode 326. I caught up earlier today with my good buddy, one of the great players in Wolves history, former Wolves interim coach, current analyst for NBA TV, former NBA coach of the year when he was with the Raptors. It is my good buddy, Sam Mitchell. Sam, happy holidays, happy new year, all that good stuff. I hope you and your loved ones are are well. Let's start with just what are realistic expectations for for the local team, for the for the team that you played for for a long time, the team that you coached for and with for a long time. What are what are realistic expectations for for Wolves fans this year as we head into Wednesday's opener against the Pistons? Well, do we look? It can be a uh, an exciting season for the Timberwolves, but it may not necessarily uh, show up in the win total. This team can improve vastly, can get better. The young players can continue to get better and grow. But the Western Conference is so deep and so tough. Now, I do think with Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, you have a puncher's chance uh, to compete for that eighth playoff spot. But it's going to be tough. The key to it is, you know, Ryan Sanders has a tough job. He's trying to develop Anthony Edwards and some of the other young players, but also win with veterans like Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell. So it's going to be tough to win and develop at the same time. I think they're going to be vastly improved, but it may not show up in the win total. You're right on the Western Conference. Like, I think they're better than Oklahoma City, Sam. But, like, after that, I mean, are they better than Sacramento? Are they better than Memphis? Are they better than Golden State, San Antonio? See, that's the thing, dude. I mean, all those teams you talked about, I think all those teams are right there with the Wolves. You know, you got the the top-tier teams like the Lakers and the Clippers and Nuggets and Denver and teams of that nature and Utah. But then you got that second tip of those teams that's going to be battling for that seventh and eighth spot. And you didn't even mention Dallas. How good are they going to be once Porzingis get back? So the West is brutal this year. And that's like I said, the Wolves can be an improved team, but it may not show up in the win total. Like what about Phoenix with Chris Paul? I think Monty Williams is yeah. an excellent coach. <laughs> yeah. Like you're right. I mean, hey. the Western Conference is – it's a bear, Sam. Brutal. Yes. There are no easy nights. And the interesting thing for me in the West – for the teams that like to load manage, Clippers, Lakers, some of those teams, how can you load manage in a 72-game schedule? Because, Doobie, it's not about home court. It's about matchups. And you saw, now think about this. How could the Lakers season have been different if they would have played the Clippers schedule in the playoffs? If they would have played Dallas and Denver instead of Portland and Houston? Think about that. Yes, although Portland got back. I mean, that was... 
that was one heck of an eight seed in the Portland Trailblazers. Yeah, but you're talking about a guy they were leaning on, had not played all year, basically. And then you're talking about a small backcourt. Look, Portland is an exciting team, but you knew this at the end of the day. The Lakers' size and athleticism, at the end of the day, LeBron and AD, it just overwhelmed them. Think about it. They beat the, uh, they beat the, uh, Portland 4-1, and they beat the Houston Rockets 4-1. So when you're going through people four games to one, it's not much of a challenge to you. On Russell, how good do you think – Russell is. He's got the all-star game appearance on on his resume, but I think there are there are varying opinions on how good D'Angelo Russell is. How good do you think D'Angelo Russell is? Well, I think he's all-star level guard, especially offensively and pick and roll, which is the mainstay in the NBA. But I think for the Wolves in general, and I know Ryan Sanders knows this, they got to get better defensively. they got to commit to the defensive end, and you know this, do you? The hard thing with a bunch of young players is they're all waiting for their second contract. You know, they're waiting to get to that second contract. Carl Anthony Towns has gotten there. D'Angelo Russell have gotten there. So those two mainstays, that should be some soothing uh, common effect for a team. But they're just so young, and it, it, it's going to be tough. But I think D'Angelo Russell uh, is an all-star kind of a point guard. But, again, you remember Steph Curry is back now. So the West, again, position by position, is just brutal. Remind me on the defense, Sam, how good of a defender was – was Towns when you were the head coach? Because if you go back the last, I don't know, 60-plus games, like, there's nothing there. Like, I just, I'd like a little bit of effort on the defensive end from Cat. And I just, I haven't seen it the last 60 or so games. Well, we never had a problem. We never thought that Carl didn't have the, the ability to be an excellent defender. Look, one of the highlights of my career, I had a chance to have lunch with the great John Wooden. He told me this. He looked me in the eye and said, Coach, the same characteristic it takes to be a great offensive player are the same characteristic it takes to be a great defensive player. Mm-hmm. So it's in call. He's just got to make up his mind, and that's something that he's going to have to commit to. I mean, do you think he's capable, though? I mean, you feel like, I mean, from what you experienced, <laughs> I mean, he's fully capable? Yeah, dude, you're talking about a guy that's capable of being first or second or third team all-NBA at center position offensively. Why can't he be better defensively? You don't have to be first team or second team defense, but Carl Anthony Towns has the ability to be a much better defender than what you guys are saying. How tough of a job does Ryan Saunders have in coaching Cat this year? Because I think, Sam, at some point he has to coach Cat harder, but considering all the loss and in Cat's life, he told us a week or so ago it's going to be hard to play this year, but he is playing. They are compensating him. Millions upon millions of dollars, so there has to be some sort of expectation. But how difficult will it be for Ryan to coach Cat hard? Well, it's not that it's going to be necessarily hard or difficult. It's just going to have to be a lot of conversations, a lot of one-on-one time. And just understand, Carl has been through something dramatic, man. And, and, and now all of a sudden you're thrust into the NBA season. He hadn't played basketball in quite a while, and he's been dealing with the death of mom and other family members. So he's got all these different emotions, and plus you're playing under strict COVID protocol. So it's going to be tough. So it's not about coaching him hard. It's about making him understand that the commitment on the other end is just as important. Uh, Just use the Portland Trailblazers as an example. You know how great they are offensively, but until they do something defensively, they're not going to be a factor. And, and the way they addressed that, they went out and signed two really good wing defenders and Robert Covington and those guys. So he has to commit. It's anything to do. But, you know, you can be firm, fair, but 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 being hard, Dugan, you have to know your players before you go down that road. Do you like Cat at the five position? Or can you see a scenario where at some point, it won't be this year, but where Cat's the four-man, he's guarding the opposition's four-man, and you bring in some other center. Like, they could have drafted James Wiseman if they really wanted to. Like, where do you see Cat <laughs> over the next few years? Do you see him strictly as a five-man? Well, Duke, I would have definitely looked at uh, James Wiseman and played those two guys together. But, but look, in today's NBA, Carl Anthony Towns going to be a five because, you, you know, you're talking about his challenges on defense. Think about him going a smaller, quicker more mobile four-man that plays out at the three-point line. You think about, uh, you, you look at the Phoenix Suns right now, you look at how they're going to play. You know, they, their four-man is going to be spot up at the three-point line, going to be driving to the basket, 
run the lane. So it'll be difficult for Carl in today's NBA uh, with the way teams want to play. But, look, Carl Anthony Towns is an all-star center. We know that. It's just, again, and it's not just Carl. The whole team has to commit to playing better defense. I don't know if they have the pieces to do that, Sam. Like, (laughs) D'Angelo, I mean, he's pretty much been a sieve on defense, Sam. Carl... Yeah, maybe he's he's shown it before, but I need to see it to to really buy in. Malik Beasley, I don't look at Malik as as a plus defender. So you start looking at the pieces they have. Rubio, sure, you know, but Rubio's in the second unit. He'll he'll get some crunch time minutes. But I just look at the the core. Anthony Edwards maybe has a chance to be a plus defender, but not immediately. Like Sam, I just I struggle in looking at their roster, seeing even a top fifteen type defense. Well, then it may not be top 15, Duke, but they got to improve that in. You know that, Duke. They, they, look, to talk about the playoffs and to talk about winning and not talk about defense or making a, a, a committed effort to get better defensively, you're not going to do that, then you're fooling yourself. So, as a team, they got to, at some point, <laughs> the rubber got to meet the road and you got to decide do we want to go out here and, and get beat 135 to 130 every night? Do we want to start winning games, compete for a playoff spot, and start being one of those teams that we talk about competing for a championship one day? So Wiseman was your guy, though? Like, if you were running the show here, you would have taken James Wiseman number one? I'm not. Look, I I recruited him at Memphis when Mm -hmm. I was there for the one year, so obviously I have some some different feelings for James. But I I wouldn't say I definitely would have taken him. Uh, Anthony Edwards is an unbelievable talent uh, at that two-guard position at that wing position. So it would have been a tough decision, but I definitely would have considered James Wise. I mean, I wouldn't have been afraid to change the Norman NBA because the San Antonio Spurs had about a 20-year run with those two guys and Tim Duncan and David Robinson. With your ties there in the Atlanta area, I mean, have you heard about Anthony Edwards going back multiple years? Yeah. Yeah, heard about him and, 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 and knew he was a talented player. So you guys definitely got a young Time to play. Do get a problem uh, for all the rookies this year that there was no summer league, there was no three months before the season for additional mm-hmm. work, and then there was not that time after Labor Day for players to come in four or five days a week to work with their teammates to get better and get indoctrinated to the NBA. So it's just going to be difficult uh, for these rookies to get on the floor because it's a 72 game schedule, it's a sprint, not a marathon this year, and it's going to be hard to try to introduce young players to NBA basketball and win at the same time. I'm with you. I mean, this is as as unique and, I mean, frankly, weird as it gets, right? Like, normally you're right. Like, you have a summer league. You have from, you know, Labor Day on to be at the practice facility getting work in with, with a bunch of coaches. Like, this is this yeah. is weird. I, I mean, I just I hope fans realize that, that guys like Edwards deserve a longer leash than, yeah, nah. than your normal rookie. Well, they're not going to realize that's why you have an organization and a coach and general manager to keep emphasizing that for all these workers. That, that look, this year made for a lot of these workers going to be a throwaway year. People have to understand that. What do you think about them bringing back Ricky Rubio? I love it. I think Ricky is a fan favorite. It's unfortunate that there won't be fans in the arena, but he's a common influence in the locker room. He's all about winning. He's a great team defender, and I think with his improvement of the outside shot and just understanding who he is, I think that was a great pickup for Rick Rubio. Hopefully he can inspire this team to commit better defensively, and, uh, you know, they had given them a better chance to win, but they obviously have one of the better backup point guards in the NBA. And, I mean, you say backup, but, I mean, I really feel like in crunch time, Rubio's at the one, Russell's at the two. Like, don't you think that Rubio and Russell can coexist? Yeah, if they can get enough defense, dude, you got to remember now. <laughs> it's one thing to score, but the other team gets the ball, too. So those are the type of decisions that Ryan Sanders is going to have to weigh. You know, he can obviously play Ricky and DeAndre together because they would be a, 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 a lethal offensive combination. But you got to also factor in what you may be giving up on the defensive end. So that's the struggle of a coach on a night-to-night basis, and you have to figure it out on the fly. I brought up Beasley's name, Sam. What do you think of Malik? I mean, he's certainly capable on the on the offensive end, and they gave him it's a four year, sixty million dollar deal. Year four is a team option, so it's really a three year, you know, forty three ish million dollar deal. I mean, do you look at Malik Beasley as a as a fourteen million dollar a year player? <laughs> well, it don't matter how I look at him. <laughs> You'd like <laughs> to be his agent. Have, uh, 
Amen. Absolutely. Look, Malik Beasley is a talented player. Uh, again, all those guys, they have talent, but they're young. And those guys got to figure out again, the most important thing is winning. And how do you win? You got to play defense, do you? You know, it keeps going back to that. If your foundation is not based on defense and working hard and doing all the tough things, it's going to be difficult to win the NBA, again, especially in the Western Conference. Did you like the acquisition of Ed Davis just to have a, a veteran there in the front court? Yeah, I do. Again, and, and there may be some opportunities to play Ed and Carl some together. Uh, it gives Ryan Sanders some versatility in his lineup. So I think the more veterans that you can add to your team, especially a young team like Minnesota, uh, it's always a positive. I'll give you another one. I mean, you do a lot of, of work with the with the Raptors. How about former Raptor Rondé Hollis-Jefferson? They get him on a training camp deal. He's going to make the team, but but that was a nice addition at the minimum. Yeah, again, another veteran, another wingman that can defend, that can get out in transition, that knows how to play. And again, a guy that, that's going to be ready to, to play the role in which he's needed on night-to-night basis. Do you think much, Sam, about what could have been like, okay, you had the interim label. Oftentimes it's just an interim label, but sometimes guys get the interim label removed. They're hired as the full-time head coach. But do you ever fantasize or think about what what could have been? You guys, the, the year you coached here, you guys jumped up, correct me if I'm wrong, was it 13 wins from, from the year prior? You had this thing rolling a little bit with Zach and Andrew and Kat. Do you ever fantasize about what could have been? I do, Doogie. There's times when I catch myself thinking about what could have been and would have liked to have been given a chance with those young guys that flipped drafted that we all drafted and developed and believed in so much. But, uh, you know, man, life is different and, and different things come at you and uh, you think about it, you're appreciative for the opportunity you had and you move on, man. But, yeah, I would be lying if I didn't say I don't, didn't think about it from time to time. I'll hit you with a couple more. I hear the little one in the in the background. Yeah, my grandson. This is my grandson. He's teasing a little bit. That's fantastic. What's it like being a grandpa? <laughs> Dude, it's the best, man. You know, yeah. I raised my my four kids and, and see how great they've turned out. And now I got a little grandson. And, you know, he is uh, he's adorable, man. He's going to do. I love it. I love hearing that, Sam. On Glenn Taylor. I mean, Glenn, Glenn seemingly has, has looked to sell for – for a while, we thought maybe it was going to be more real than ever this particular time, but there really hasn't been a whole lot of of movement, at least publicly. I think behind the scenes there's some stuff going on, but are you curious to see what takes place if, if Glenn eventually sells here soon? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, look, Glenn Taylor's been a great owner for the Timberwolves, uh, uh, but once he decides to sell the team, you know who I'm pulling for. If Kevin Garnett has a group uh, that's, that's in that fight, I'm pulling for him. I just think when you talk about who loves the state of Minnesota, who loves the people of Minnesota, who would give their heart and soul and every ounce of energy to bring a championship to Minneapolis, I can't think of nobody better than Kevin Garnett, you know, that do get. So uh, if, he, if he has a group in that fight, then I'm pulling for him. But if Mr. Taylor do decide to stay on the team, then I'm sure he's going to sell to someone who's going to have the values of Minnesotans and keep the team there and, uh, because Minnesota's a special place. They deserve, when Mr. Taylor does do decide to sell it, they deserve a, a, a good owner, ownership group that's committed to Minneapolis and to that community. How close are you to this day with KG? Like, do you guys talk weekly, heck, daily? And, I mean, he he allegedly no, does have a group. He, he's, he's got some people. I don't know who his money people are, but he's trying on this thing. <laughs> Yeah, dude, we're close, man. We don't talk every day or that often because he's busy and I'm busy. But, you know, when you're good friends and you have a certain love for each other, it's whenever you pick up the phone or whenever you see each other, it's as if you just saw each other the day before. So uh, the feelings, the relationship, all of that still there. He's one of my most favorite people in the world. He's one of my most favorite teammates uh, that I ever played with. And it's always... Uh, you know, dude, he just, uh, you know, he's just a unique individual. And so it would mean a lot to the people of Minnesota, I know, uh, to him especially, if given opportunities by Tim Wood. Sam, thank you as always. I could talk to you. You know this for, for hours. You're always generous with your time. I'll let you go now. Get back to that little cutie and happy holidays. 
Hey, do you have a holiday to you and any time, my friend? We will know a lot about the Wolves in the next few weeks. I mean, it's a very winnable game on Wednesday against Detroit, but then you think about, I'm just looking at the schedule here, Saturday the 26th, Utah, Sunday the 27th, the Lakers, Tuesday the 29th, the Clippers. They do get the Wizards on New Year's Day, but then January 3rd and January 5th, the Wolves play Denver. Then on January 7th, they play Portland. It is a tough start to the season for the Wolves. All right, let's now transition to my buddy Brad Hand, Chaska High School graduate, Major League Baseball All-Star, one of the best relievers in the American League this year, this this shortened season. The Indians made a surprising decision. They could have brought him back for $10 million. They said no. He hit the waiver wire, surprisingly. Not one team claimed him just for one year. One year, $10 million for one of the best relievers in the game. So Brad Hand right now is a free agent. It was nice to catch up with Brad earlier today. Here's my conversation with Brad Hand. Brad, let's start with just your journey. It's been a while since we've caught up, at least in in this sort of forum. Like, just take us through your journey over the last 12 years. So here in Minnesota, we remember you, class of what, 08? Chaska High School. Just take us through your journey from when you graduated Chaska until now. Yeah, I mean, I got drafted by the Marlins, um, obviously, and, um, you know, spent, I think it was seven years with them, um, up and down in the minor leagues, Um, never really stuck in the big leagues. Couldn't really find my role. I was in the bullpen. I was starting, Um, you know, it was just kind of all over the place. And then they ended up putting me on waivers. Um, San Diego picked me up and then kind of, I went once I got to San Diego, they kind of just stuck me in a bullpen and, um, you know, things kind of took off from there. Uh, the big thing like that last year in Miami, I started working on a slider, uh, ended up throwing it a little bit there. Um, but then once I got to San Diego, I was just in the bullpen and started that throwing that slider a lot more. And then, um, ended up getting traded from San Diego to Cleveland. Spent two and a half years in Cleveland, and um, now I'm a free agent. How long did it take for you to embrace the role of, of moving from starter to bullpen? Yeah, it was it was a little bit tough. I mean, obviously, coming up in the minor leagues, uh, it always started. I've never really been a bullpen guy, um, so I didn't really know how to do the one-inning thing. It just takes a – you just have to be able to prepare a little bit different, um, just preparing your body and preparing everything to be able to be available to pitch every day. That's the toughest part about being a reliever, just um, being able to take the ball every single day and 162 games, you're going to get a lot of chances to pitch. So, um, you know, just finding out ways to take care of yourself and, you know, stay healthy. You mentioned you're a free agent. Is it, is it a good time or a bad time right now to be a free agent? I'm not really sure, to be honest, Um, you know, with the way that, you know, last year went and, I think the uncertainty of, you know, how next year is even going to look, we're not even sure um, what next year is going to look like as far as how many games, if fans will be there. So, um, you know, I, I don't think there's ever really a bad time to be a free agent, but, um, you know, as long as you go out there and have, have a good year, year after year, I think um, any year is a good year to be a free agent. How are you balancing the normal work you would do mid to late December you know, when, when you're normally under contract versus not having a contract, like, are you ramping things down right now? Like, how are you approaching off-season workouts? Yeah, I probably started ramping things up earlier just because I only threw, like, 22 innings this year. So, um, compared to a normal year, I felt like I didn't throw very much. So, I actually started playing catch a month earlier than I usually do uh, just to not give myself a big, you know, time off and um, – because we're used to throwing so much that I didn't want to take, you know, a lot of time off only throwing 22 innings. So I wanted to get it ready. And, um, but with all, with this stuff that not knowing when spring training is going to start, it's kind of throwing a little wrench into the stuff. We might have another month maybe, um, or everything will start on time, but, um, you know, just normal off season, I would just say I'm probably throwing a little bit earlier and we'll probably get on the mound a little bit earlier this year. I mean, on that, you're right. I mean, there's just there's so much uncertainty. But do you need to operate as if it will be a normal start to spring training, that that there will be a 162-game season, that it's easier to ramp down versus ramping up, which is something 
you obviously experienced with with the Indians this past year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I'm going to prepare as we're starting, you know, as a normal spring training will, and uh, we'll play 162 games. That's how I'm going to prepare. Um, I think, I, you know, the reason for starting earlier is just um, probably just because I didn't have that many innings and, um, you know, a normal, a normal season, the off season's kind of get to give your arm a rest, which I don't really feel like I pitched that much when my arm needs a rest. So, uh, I just wanted to keep it going, keep it moving. And, uh, you know, obviously I've been going lighter and, you know, taking my time getting ready, just the buildups a little bit longer. But, um, you know, everything's feeling good. Uh, hopefully we'll get to play some baseball back to normal this year. I'm with you. Let's all hope on on that front. How did your time here in Minnesota, Brad, shape you, the, the player that you are, the person that you are today? Yeah, I mean, I played three sports in high school, so I think that's key. Um, just – baseball you got to stay athletic and trying to keep some of that athletic ability inside of you as a pitcher especially all we do is you know one kind of thing so um, just trying to stay athletic I think that helped me growing up and then you know probably not throwing year-round like some of these kids down in Florida they're I mean these 12 year old kids are probably you know throwing more baseballs than I have at this point in my life um, you know I was growing up there you can only you can only play for a few months so that's the only when I was throwing so um you know just my personality I think you know you know everybody from Minnesota to get the Minnesota nice just to you know be kind and be respectful to everybody that's you know kind of how I am and um kind of how I was raised by my parents entering your what age 31 season currently 30 but when the season starts or during the season you'll turn 31 I mean do you feel like you're you're entering the the prime of your career or you're still in the prime of your career as successful as you've been the last few years yeah for sure I mean I, I feel like um you know last year it's kind of hard to judge on you know 20 or 20 innings that relievers were getting but um I had a bad like first week of the season and then the rest of the season I think I only gave up one one run for two months um, but as a reliever, I feel like you get hot and cold like that. You throughout the course of the year, you're going to have a bad month. You're going to have, you know, two months where you only give up one run. That's just, you know, how it goes sometimes, but only playing 60 games, you didn't have much time, uh, margin for error. You didn't have time to make up for, you know, bad, bad outings or like that. But, um, yeah, I feel like I'm right there in my prime. I got, you know, my arm feels good. Body feels good. So, um, you know, I'm just going to try to keep going as long as I can in this game. When do you think things will start to ramp up? Like, have you had a chance to talk to any managers, any general managers? Like, it has to be a little goofy. Correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, Brad, you could sign with a team that has spring training in Arizona and need to head to Arizona here in just a matter of, of a few weeks, practically. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's – it's. I mean, this is really my first time ever being a free agent, so it's kind of weird right now. But uh, – so I don't really have those, you know, type of communications with, you know, normally at this time you're with a team and you're getting information from your team on when you may be starting and stuff like that. So, you know, most of the information I'm getting is from, you know, my friends that are at the gym that are with teams or my agent or whatever it may be. So, um, yeah, I just don't think anybody really knows what's going to happen yet. Uh, hopefully in the next month or so we'll be uh, get a better idea of what the season and when what the start time will look like. Is it just weird that you are a free agent? I mean, this is the craziest, most atypical year, I think, in, in all of our lifetimes. But the fact that, that the Indians didn't want to bring you back at, at a decent number, the $10 million number, and then and then that you cleared waivers, like, is it crazy that you're a free agent right now? Yeah, it's just, is like, I've talked to about it with a few, uh, you know, my friends, and it's like, if you would have told me I would have had a good year and they would have, you know, declined my option, I would have at the beginning of the year, I would have been, you know, excited about that. But um, just with all this stuff that's going on in the world and, um, you know, the way baseball was, it's just like I didn't know. Like I had no idea whether they were going to, you know, pick it up or decline it. It's just it's just the time of baseball we're at right now. It's just a weird time and uh, nobody really knew what, was going to happen and nobody really knows what's going to happen in free agency this year. So um, it's just a strange year and, you know, hopefully it's past us and we'll get to move on and everything will be, you know, back to normal next year, hopefully. You mentioned your, your slider, your, your lethal pitch, the team here, the team you grew up watching loves sliders. Is it hard not to, 
at least think about the possibility of, of maybe helping out the Twins, a team that could use a couple relievers in, in that bullpen, including somebody like you? Yeah, I got all my friends, all my buddies from high school and growing up are all recruiting me to come there. Um, you know, obviously my mom, my mom and dad and sister still live there as well. So, you know, every time we go being playing in Cleveland, we'd go back, we'd go there three times a year. So it was nice to be able to experience it a little bit more than I had in the past, um, not being in the division. So um, you definitely miss the summers there. Um, you know, it's a great, a great city, uh, you know, to play in. The fans are great. And, you know, I've thought about it before, but, you know, I'd, at this point, I don't, you know, where, know where I'm going to end up. But, uh, you know, would love would love to play for the Twins for sure. I mean, is there any sense that they have even, you know, some level of interest? I mean, you know, has your agent told you anything in that regard? Um, yeah, I'm not sure on all the teams. I know there's a, you know, a bunch of teams that, that had interest so far. Um, you know, but it seems to be going pretty slow for the reliever market right now. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens in the long run. I'm not How sure you, right now. Yeah. How are you such a lethal strikeout pitcher? I mean, what is it? I mean, you strike out one out of every three hitters you face. Yeah, I mean, that's probably my slider. You know, once I've started throwing that pitch, it's came a long ways and it's, you know, really became a, a weapon for me. Um, you know, obviously I've, I haven't been, you know, one of, one of the relievers that will get it up there in the high 90s or anything like that. So I really, you know, I rely a lot on that pitch and, you know, setting that pitch up with my, you know, fastball that doesn't have, you know, the upper 90s that uh, some of the guys do. So, um, you know, just working those two together. And, you know, I, I mean, I throw my slider a lot to compare. I mean, I probably almost throw it 50% of the time. So, um, you know, just between just getting those two to work together and um, play off each other is, you know, that's how I kind of use those two. How have you been able to master commanding the slider? Like your walk numbers are are phenomenal. So, I mean, that's another key to your success that you just, you don't walk guys. Yeah. I mean, early in my career when I was in Miami, that was my problem. And then I kind of just, I was, I was tired of walking people and I was like, I'm just going to, you know, come at, come at you with, you know, my best stuff. And if you get a hit, you know, so be it. I trust my stuff to, you know, get the next guy out. So um, I know when I was in San Diego, I worked hard on, you know, throwing the, the strike slider a lot more because I was, you know, I was throwing it a lot more for chase and, you know, wasn't, wasn't that uh, confident with it when I was, you know, behind in the count, being able to throw it for strikes. So, um, you know, when I was there, that's kind of one of the things I started doing a little bit more, trying to, you know, land more for strikes. And, um, you know, I'm a, got to be where it was a pretty good spot with it. And, you know, my command with it is, you know, pretty good. Is there much of a difference between the two leagues? Like, do you have a preference? Yeah. You'd like to stay in the American league. no, prefer the national league or now with, with so many interleague games, it just, it isn't that big of a deal. Yeah. I, um, I never thought there was much, much difference between the American league and the national league for a relief pitcher. There definitely is as a starting pitcher, because, you know, you're going through the order, you're, you're facing the pitcher maybe two or three times. So that's a, that's an out for, you know, starting pitcher, but um, as a reliever, you're never going to, you know, get to face a pitcher really, unless you're coming in in the fourth inning. But um, in the American League, you're always going to face the designated hitter. The National League, you'll get a you'll get a pinch hitter that's probably going to favor the the hitting team. Like nobody's ever going to pinch hit a lefty against me in the National League. So, you know, there's both sides to it. But um, I would say they're kind of the same for, for relievers. For me, um, you might have a little more thump in the lineup in the, in the American league with the, with the big power hitters being able to DH, you don't see many like bench guys in the national league that are just strictly, you know, power guys that can't really play a position. What are some keys to your, to your durability? I mean, no closer has thrown more innings the last five years than you have. So, I mean, what are some keys to, to staying durable and, and how much do you embrace? I mean, when I talk about, you know, nobody's throwing more innings than you, at least in terms of closers the last five years, you know, some of that is that, that you're brought in to get four outs, five outs, that you're not just strictly a guy that starts the ninth inning. So how much do you embrace that part of, of the role that you've been called upon the last few years? Yeah. I mean, I've always, I've always thought that I, I feel better and uh, my arm feels better actually when I actually throw more, um, the more I throw, the more, you know, the better I actually feel. Um, I don't know, 
like when I got to San Diego my first year, I think I threw in 82 games and I had been starting before. So it was like nothing. Like I only threw 80 innings where I'm normally throwing 140 or 150. So it's like, felt like it was easy. And then, um, you know, just taking care of your body. Uh, I mean, I work hard in the off season to, you know, prepare myself to, you know, be able to stay healthy throughout the whole year and um, have no issues. So, um, yeah, I'd just say I'm, I'm a guy that likes to throw a lot and, um, you know, I like to be in the game every single day. You have a thought on, on the team that you used to play for most recently, the Indians announcing that, what is it, a year from now? I mean, in 2021, they will still be the Indians, but in 2022, they'll have a, they'll have a new nickname. Yeah, we had some meetings about it um, during the summer camp, um, you know, with the owner there and the front office just to get some ideas or get some thoughts from, you know, people on the team about the whole situation. Um, you know, I think it was, it was just a matter of time of when it, when it was going to happen. Um, you know, with the, everything that's gone on, it's just one of those things that, that needed to happen. I don't know really what name they're going to pick, but, um, you know, I think it's, you know, it's just a matter of time before that was going to happen. I'll leave you with this. Who are, who are some other relievers that, that you either watch video of, you highly respect? Like, are there any names that, that instantly come to mind? Uh, I mean, when I got to when I got to Cleveland, I watched a lot of uh, Miller's Andrew Miller's stuff just because I'd never, you know, I've never pitched in the American League before. So a lot of these guys when I got over there were, you know, fairly new to me. So um, when I got there, same kind of, I mean, I wouldn't say we're exactly the same. We're a little bit different, but our pitches are, you know, pretty close to each other. So um, I would study how he attacked guys and stuff like that, but. Um, as far as watch and pitch, um, you know, we had that Karen check guy in our, in our bullpen this year. He's a character. Um, but I love the way he goes out there and competes and, you know, he's going to have a, you know, bright future ahead of him. Um, you know, there's, there's a bunch of guys that are relievers nowadays that are, you know, fun to watch, but, uh, I'd say, you know, Miller was a guy that I kind of, you know, learned from and how to pitch and especially to the guys that, you know, he had been facing uh, in the American League for a long time. Well, I mean, I'll give you another name. I mean, I don't know if you have a relationship with Nick Anderson of, of the Tampa Bay Rays, but he's a Minnesota guy. I mean, his story is unique. I mean, it was six years ago, Brad, that he was pitching in town for for, for a town ball team, the Tri-City Shark. Now, all of a sudden, he's really? like you. I mean, I think you guys were right up for, what, American League yeah. reliever of the year. I wonder if, if you pay attention yeah. at all to Nick's happenings. Yeah, I mean, I knew he was a Minnesota guy, and um, actually, I think he was – he came up with the Marlins, I believe, if, if I'm correct. Well, the Twins, uh, so and then he was with the Marlins, yeah. Okay. He did spend yeah. some time with the Marlins, though. Yeah, so there's a there's a few guys here at the gym that I go to that, um, you know, are pretty close friends with him. So, you know, I've heard his name talked about a lot. I mean, obviously, he's really, you know, turned it on over the past – you know, three or four years and become one of the elite bullpen guys. But, you know, it's always it's always good to see some Minnesota Minnesota boys in the, in the big leagues. So there's not many of us. So, um, you know, it's always good to see see another one doing well in the big leagues. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I mean, Glenn Perkins retires. Joe Maurer retires. All of a sudden that list starts to starts to dwindle. Yeah, I don't even know who who else there really is. I know we had I think in Cleveland, there was a minor league guy that was from Minnesota. Yeah, Sam Hentges. Uh, yeah, Sam Mountain Hentges. View kid. Yeah, yeah, good kid. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, I mean, he's – I saw him in spring training this year, and he was left-handed, like eight feet tall and threw like 100. And, uh, you know, he's got a special – he's got a special, uh, you know, body and everything. So, I think he's going to be pretty good. I didn't really get to see him pitch that much. I saw him pitching a few um, – you know, spring training games, but his stuff is electric. There's Caleb Thielbar, who, who's in the Twins bullpen. Yep. There's there's a kid named Joey Gerber in the Mariners bullpen. He's from Wyzetta High School. He pitched at the University of okay. Illinois. But, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a really tiny list, unfortunately. Yeah, that's crazy. I felt like it was a lot bigger, not like five years ago, and it's kind of dwindling down. Absolutely. Brad, wishing you all the best. Stay safe. And certainly, I hope everything works out in free agency, however you want it to work out. Yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate it. 
No real, no legitimate twin steam on Brad Hand yet, but it's still early. The twins do love those sliders. Brad Hand has one heck of a slider, but right now there are other teams with far more interest in Brad than Minnesota. But all it takes is one new call, you know, one new conversation. So we'll see. We'll continue to follow Brad Hand's free agent happenings. On Nick Anderson, a reminder, Nick was on episode 325 Last week, Nick came in the studio. We had a lengthy conversation on on myriad topics. So if you're interested in Nick Anderson, Crosby, Minnesota native, lives here in the Twin Cities, Tampa Bay Rays reliever, one of the best relievers in the American League. If you're interested in his happenings, check out Scoop Podcast episode 325. Like a few other media members in town, I reached out to my buddy Ryan Longwell, former Packers kicker, former Vikings kicker. I wanted him to diagnose the issues with Vikings kicker Dan Bailey. So here's my recent conversation. It happened just earlier this week with Ryan Longwell. Ryan, before I get your analysis on on what maybe is specifically ailing Dan Bailey, just where where do you stand on just even me, others in town, media-wise, reaching out to you to, to get your thoughts on, on Dan struggling? Like two weeks ago, before the Jacksonville game, Ryan, he was he was 26 of 27 on on extra points. He was 12 of 14 on field goals. Last time I checked, and I'm guilty, admittedly, Ryan, I'm guilty, but I don't remember us in September, October, early November celebrating his accomplishments. Maybe we should have. But now that that he's missed all these kicks, you know, we we tend to overanalyze. We reach out to experts like you. Like, just where where do you stand on on that idea that that some of us, me included, are only reaching out to you because of something negative, not positive? Well, it's kind of the nature of the beast, right? I mean, the position I always joked was uh, there was no uh, C grade in kicking; it was A or F, and, and so uh, that's one of it. Listen. Dan's been awesome and has had it. I mean, I think he made 20 something in a row, you know, uh, up until early this year. Um, Dan kicks very similar to me. I mean, I, I think, you know, with everybody reaching out to me, I take it as a compliment that, you know, our six years in Minnesota, um, you know, we bored people a lot by having success, which is the idea. You, you want to be boring on the field, right? Uh, especially at our position. But at the same time, I think you can look at why I was brought to Minnesota, which was purely, I mean, they told me on my trip, on my free agent trip, that uh, we're bringing you here to solidify this position. And we've had a Rolodex of kickers. We don't want to do that anymore. And, you know, since I've left, it's kind of, you know, been hit and miss. And, and the misses have been, unfortunately, in huge games, in huge situations, or when there's a playoff push going to try to make it. And so, you know, I, I think to look at Dan, I, I think, you know, like I said, the way I kicked was I had one snapper and one holder my six years in Green Bay. If you look at Dan, he didn't forget how to kick. Like, obviously, the last two weeks, you have to look at it as kicking is an operation. And so I always talked about the rhythm and the routine of the entire operation. I was just a cog in the entire operation, meaning colon, the way he even rotated the ball when it was sitting on the ground, you know, and then he would snap it back, include, put it down. That entire operation, we all had to be on the same page. And so the one thing that's changed with Dan over the last two weeks is they changed the long snapper. And I, I think, unfortunately, it's too easy to say, like, all right, the snapper's been snapping fine. And he has. Like, listen, this is nothing about he's not throwing ground balls back there or anything. But the differences and, and the nuances of, of kicking are so subtle that if he throws a perfect strike back there every single time, but that is two tenths of a second faster or two tenths of a second slower than the previous guy, all of a sudden the entire rhythm of the operation is off. And so you really have two kind of kickers in the NFL. You have the bashers, which, you know, Blair Walsh was a basher. Matt Prater in Detroit's a basher swinging as hard as they can every single time. That's their style. Then you have kind of the rhythm and the routine guys, the guys that never look like they're swinging hard. That's the way I kick, and that's the way Dan kicks. And so the entire operation and that cadence becomes even more important for a guy like that, like like I was, like Dan was. And so uh, I think it's not saying that the you know the change of snapper is not like not getting the job done, 
but it is an entirely new rhythm and routine. And so when the ball is being put down exactly on the spot, exactly the right lean, but it's getting down, you know, maybe a click second earlier or a click of a second later, all of a sudden that throws off the rhythm. And what I see looking at Dan the last couple of weeks is, you know, it's just, he's out of sync. He's out of rhythm. And it's obvious why that happened. Um, and to me, when you see the ball coming off his foot uh, differently than it ever has, I mean, Dan's a guy that hits a 12 to six rotating ball. Um, it's a very clean ball. And he's done that in Dallas and he's done that his whole time in Minnesota. When it's not coming off that way, it's not a technique thing. It's a rhythm thing. All right. So if you were Rick Spielman, Ryan, if you were Mike Zimmer, would you bring back Austin cutting? Like, was that a mistake? Do you admit the mistake? Do you bring back the long snapper that Dan is comfortable with? And I mean, Marwin Maloof is a smart guy. I don't know him real well personally, just with COVID. We, we don't have the access we once did, but <laughs> right. my understanding is he's, he's a bright guy. Zim is a bright guy. So like, how do you, how do you compute why they made this change at the long snapper position two weeks ago? Well, I think, you know, you have to kind of, to me, like you have to take a step back and, and look at the bigger picture. And so, you know, to me, it's pretty obvious to everyone on planet earth, the gold standard of kicking in the NFL is the Baltimore Ravens. Right. And so you look at Justin Tucker and you look at since 2012, he's been there. And if anybody told you they thought he had missed that 55-yarder to win the game on Monday night this week, they'd be lying to you. Because everybody thought he was going to make it. He would have made it from they, 60, whatever. Like, if they didn't get absolutely. those extra yards, I don't know if you saw the game or not at the end there, Ryan. But but they had there – was, there was a thought that maybe they were going to spike. And they got an extra play in and ended up getting a few yards. But, like, I think I – think, I think, Justin was prepared to make it from 62 yards if he had to. Absolutely. And you know what the thing is? He would have hit a good ball and he would have made it, you know. And But I think you have to look at the granular thing. Like, since 2012, he has had one snapper in Morgan Cox and one holder in Sam Cook. And so that operation, if it's the gold standard, they've had three guys do it year after year after year. And so organizationally, they also have, you know, a kicking coach like Randy Brown is in there to coach their specialists. And so they understand how important it is, but they also understand how important it is for everybody to understand each other. Because when it shows up is on game day, like that's when the subtleties and the nuances of trusting, you know, if the ball's getting down late, I got to get it to this way for the laces so I can still make the kick. And so if that's the gold standard, you got to look at, and I don't know, I'm not in the meetings, obviously with the bikes, but two weeks ago, like, I think the conversation had to be had. And I don't know if it was of, listen, we're getting some bad snaps on punts. We can make this change, which will help our punt team, but here's what it's going to do to our field goal unit. It may be okay with Dan, but I guarantee you, no one in there said Dan is a rhythm and timing kicker. He is a guy that absolutely is in the zone right now, and he's kicking well for us. If we make this change, it could backfire because we don't have a training camp, a mini camp. We don't have time to get in sync and in rhythm. And lo and behold, you know, I'm not sure that conversation was ever had, much less I'm not sure the decision was made, considering that this may go the opposite direction for a proven field goal unit. And so, like I said, the snap can be back perfect. It can be a perfect strike. But if it's a click late or a click early, it changes the entire rhythm. And, and I was telling someone this earlier today, the PGA Tour pros, like it, they are so dialed in. If you give them a golf ball that's different than their golf ball and give them a wedge, guess what? Their distances are going to be off because the feel and the nuances is so important. And you're not going to be able to tell honestly, on a Wednesday and a Thursday or Friday in practice with a new snapper and all, everything's going to be great. You're going to, it's going to show up, unfortunately, on game day when the adrenaline is going and when you're so used to muscle memory of that routine and that rhythm being what it was for the previous, not only 10 weeks, but all off season and, you know, all the previous year. And so that's where I'm not in those meetings. I've never been asked, you know, my opinion on it, but I'm just telling you, as a kicker who's been there, when you absolutely have to make the kick, 
and actually a guy that is a rhythm and, you know, was a rhythm and timing guy like Dan. Uh, I'm just telling you, I had one snapper in my entire time in Green Bay. I had one snapper and one holder my entire time in Minnesota. You look at, you know, the Ravens, if they're the gold standard, they have had one snapper and one holder. And you look at longevity of success. And that's one aspect is you have to look at it as an entire operation. And then you have to look at it organizationally of, you know, do we want to have this Rolodex coming like every other year? And that's what it's been. It was that before I was there. And it's kind of been that way since I've left. And unfortunately, you guys only uh, call and talk to me when there's bad that happens. And it's been happening too much, you know, over the past, you know, five, six years. Okay. So, so on the 0.1 or 0.2 seconds, like, cause, cause he missed left. He missed right. He missed wide, right. Like that 0.1 or 0.2 that, that can impact whether it's going left or right. Absolutely. Because you got to understand the, the, the subtleties of, of the kicking. And, and once again, it's not just when Dan's foot hits the ball, it's the operation. And so what we try to do is maximize the impact to be your leg is as fast as it's possibly going to get the second, the millisecond really that your foot hits the ball. And so what happens is a lot of people will look at, you know, whether the ball's going left and right and saying, well, he has a two-way miss or looking at the ball going higher or lower and saying, well, something's technically wrong. It's not it at all. I, so when I see Dan on Sunday in Tampa, what I see is a guy that is just totally out of rhythm. And so it's a, it's a one thing fix. It's not a two-way miss. It's not because it's going high or low. It's a guy that's out of rhythm. And so that tells me that the, the, the change of snapper, whether they you know, want to talk about it or not, it threw off the cadence of the entire operation. And so what, how that shows up is you look at Dan's history and you look at his time in Dallas and you look at his time with the bikes. And like I said earlier, Dan is not a guy that squeezes the ball inside the uprights. He's a guy that hits it dead center and the ball is rotating 12 o'clock to six o'clock. So it is a perfect end over end rotation. So when you see the kicks that are coming off his foot, which are kind of the X and the squirrely ones, and they're kind of darting. Dan hits a ball that is very neutral and straight. It doesn't bend. And the balls off his foot now are, are darting along with the bad rotation. Dan didn't just forget how to kick. Like, he didn't forget how to make impact. What that shows is that his foot is not getting to the ball in the same timing that it was two and three weeks ago and for the previous year and a half when he made 20-whatever in a row. So it's not a technical fix. It's a rhythm and a timing fix that's got to be addressed. And, you know, I, I think if I was there, I would tell Dan, you know, two things. One, you know, work on your aim as far as just double check your aiming where you think you're aiming, because we're all guilty of when you make a bunch in a row, you start getting a little lazy with, you know, where you're aiming because you're just so confident you're going to make it. So double check that and just get your head a little more over the ball, because if you look at his follow through, you know, it's kind of like he's falling back a little bit, which once again is not a technical thing. It's a rhythm thing. His body is not in position at the ball because he's out of sync. And it's once again, it's the entire operation from the snap to the hold to the kick and when everything happens. And when you've done something the same way for 12 weeks now, you understand muscle memory and adrenaline, how that feels. And when you add a new piece to that puzzle, it doesn't feel that way. And that's what I see. So is the solution then just practice rep after practice rep? Like we're sitting here on Wednesday night talking, you know, is the hope that, that they got a bunch of reps in, whether pre-practice, during practice, post-practice today, same deal tomorrow, same deal Friday, and just feel like, you know, Sunday morning, go out there, get some reps in pregame. And hopefully after, you know, four solid days of reps, maybe some Saturday as well, that that hopefully comes Sunday at noon, you know, this, this issue is solved. I think it is. I think you need a, a bunch of extra reps. I think you need to understand you're going to go into the game a little more fatigued than you normally would be. Um, and which is even more excuse and or reason to trust your rhythm and your routine and your cadence, because you don't need to swing hard when you, when you kick the way Dan does. And so I, I think extra reps are the key. I think, the other thing is you can't have a lot of people chirping in your ear with suggestions. That, that's honestly the worst, you know, and, and um, a lot of people that, 
you know, uh, you know, people are trying to help him. So I'm not saying that, but a lot of people that have never been in the situation and don't understand, you know, what's going on when it comes to crunch time, when you have to make that kick and what it feels like, um, you know, you want to keep sure, keep your circle around you of information coming in very clean and very simple because even a little tidbit of the wrong info can, you know, get it going the wrong direction. And so I think, uh, you know, extra reps, I, I think, the toughest thing for a veteran like Dan is a, t- a thing that we all struggle with is as the longer you last in the league, it's very hard to get adrenaline going in practice. Like it's just hard to get up for practice because you understand the high of game day and you understand the focus of game day. And to be quite honest with you, it's just hard to replicate at every position, but especially when it's all or nothing on the line as a kicker, you know? So somehow you have to manufacture that adrenaline during this week to get those reps where you are amped up and where the snapper is amped up. Because the other thing is, is if you have a new guy in the mix that is throwing it one way in practice and then on game day, he's a little more fired up. So it's coming back faster. Like, you know, you're not used to that like you were with the old guy. And so that's all stuff that, you know, is time and time and time. Well, in week 13, 14, I don't even know where we are anymore, but in late in the season, you really don't have time. And, and so you have to kind of upset the apple cart as far as your routine to get this done. And you have to manufacture some situations on your own, you know, and, and try to, you know, just get yourself, get everybody amped up and then calm down like you would on a game day uh, in practice and see how that goes. But, uh, you know, I would venture to say that, you know, I mean, I think Dan would be very, very fixable. I would like to look at the entire operation in practice. And I mean, I, I see it as a 15 minute fix, to be honest with you. Not, not much more than that. Really? 15 minutes? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just see the guys that I've worked with over the years and, you know, I, I've worked with enough kickers, both NFL and college and, and high school to know that rhythm and timing guys all they need to see is one ball fly off the foot the right way. And it's back like that. And it's just one of those things where I would sense that when he got in proper position uh, to hit the ball and the ball came off the right way, he would feel exactly what he was feeling for his whole career. And it would be a pretty quick fix. And, you know, I I would, uh, I would be very, very surprised if it took longer than that. Now, you know, he's going to have to have the faith to swing away on game day, you know, because we all have baggage that goes when you start missing kicks on, on the next game day. But um, once you feel it as a rhythm and, and timing guy, it, it's a pretty freeing experience to know. I, right, I got it. And, you know, when I was kicking um, and I felt I was a little out of sync, out of rhythm, I, I would always watch tape of Jason Hansen who was kicking in Detroit at the mm-hmm. time. Um, and it wasn't anything he did kicking. It was his head position. His head position was just, in a perfect position that I watched one or two of his kicks and I, and I would get it back instantly. And, and I would, I would venture to say, um, you know, having never worked with Dan, I would venture to say he's very similar to that, that it would be a pretty easy, quick fix with the right person kind of overseeing it. (laughs) Ryan Longwell. He's so darn good. I actually went another 10 or 15 minutes with Ryan. The entire conversation is available. Shameless plug on the KSTP.com sports page, KSTP.com backslash sports. But for sake of my time right now, I need to get home at some point here relatively soon. I had to hit a stop on, on the conversation, but I think you got the, the overall just, you know, theme of, of what Ryan is thinking when it comes to Dan Bailey's struggles. All right, let me wrap up with a portion of my recent conversation with Braden Carrington, junior guard, Park Center High School. Richard Patino made him an offer recently. It is unbelievable how deep, how good the Minnesota high school class of 2022 is. Patino has many offers out to 2022 players. The latest is this gentleman, Braden Carrington. Braden, I appreciate your time. I know that the Minnesota offer is not your first offer, but how much more does it mean when the home state school, the hometown school, extends you an offer? I mean, it's always, I guess, important. You know, when you get that hometown offer, I feel like it like solidifies you as a a good player in the state because you know the the hometown teams recognizing you and 
now more people can start. I feel like now more people are actually starting to know who I am and my name's getting out there more. Even though I did get those other two offers, I don't think people really realized who I was or how good I actually was. And so take us through. So this all happened pretty fast this week. I mean, take me through how, how the offer was extended to you. So I've been talking to the assistant coach for a couple of weeks now. And then the past this during the past week, he's been talking to me pretty, pretty heavily. We've been texting, calling back and forth. And then yesterday, Coach Patino gave me a text of me and wanted to call and we got on FaceTime and he basically just called and he was like, we like your game. We want you, we, we'd love to have you part of the, this Go family and all that. And he just said, we want to offer you. And we, as soon as COVID's done and all that, we want to get you down here to campus for a visit and stuff. And I mean, how much has Coach Patino, Braden, has he even watched you in person? I mean, thankfully video is out there. So anybody can can find the video and you've been playing, you know, going back even, you know, through, you know, COVID and all that. I mean, you guys with Sizzle have had an opportunity to play some games, right? Yeah. So, I mean, presumably he has he has a video, you know, database of, of your game, but has he had a chance to even watch you in person yet? No, he has not watched me in person. It's all been film where games online so i mean does it make it that much cooler that he feels like hey without even seeing you in person just the world we're in that that he feels like he knows your game well enough from all the video that's out there yeah i think it, yeah it definitely is pretty cool knowing that he doesn't have to watch me in person to know my actual talent he can look at some highlights film and say this is a guy we want who was the assistant coach that that you know, and, and it's present tense too. Who's the assistant coach that that's been leading the way? Um, I'm not sure how to say his name. I'm pretty sure it's Jeff Mayhot. I think yep. that's his last name. Yeah. Yeah. So Jeff, he has connections to Hopkins. He came from Iona. He's he's new, but but he's got footprints here in Minnesota. Like he's a yeah. Minnesota guy. Just how much has your relationship with with Coach Jeff developed over the last few months? Well, actually, he is. Like he played with my high school coach back in the day, I believe. So um, he's been, I guess the relationship, it kind of, it was kind of like a, a quick relationship to build because he knew so much about me already because of uh, Coach Ware. And um, it was just really easy to get to talk to him and get to know him. Um, he really built a, a good connection with me and my mom. So I say, He's one of the, the best coaches that um, has been trying to recruit me, I'd say, in that way. He's, he's just got to know me very well and my mom. So, yeah. Take us through how you think now fans will, will start to learn about you and your game, that, that this Minnesota offer puts you more on, you know, the, the quote-unquote map per se. Like, what kind of player will, will fans see once – once we get out of this thing, and, and hopefully you have some sort of high school basketball season, but but when fans, even if they go to YouTube right now and, and type your name and then watch highlights, just describe the kind of player you are. I mean, I used to be, I guess you'd say, just a shooter because I didn't have a, a huge role. I had a, had a pit, uh, play at Park Center because of Bain and all of our seniors we had. But now if they go, I mean, even now there's highlights out there, you can see I'm taking more control of the game. I'm taking bigger shots. Um, I'm just I'm leading the team more. Um, so I mean, if they watch, they just see a, a, a. I feel like a great leader, a great, a, a great playmaker, and a smart player on the court. Park Center junior guard Braden Carrington. Much more from Carrington on the KSTP.com sports page. KSTP.com backslash sports. Braden also picked up a recent offer from Seton Hall. So he's got Florida, Missouri, the Gophers, and Seton Hall with many other schools interested. All the best to Braden Carrington. That will wrap it up here on Scoop Podcast episode 326. Always appreciate you listening. Stay safe. Stay sane.